and we will talk of Jesus today, but it'll mostly be from the Old Testament, and you can turn to the book of Isaiah, and uh, the Lord has led me, now next week will be different, for Easter we'll have a focus on the resurrection, um, as really every message should in one way or another. Um, but after this, I'd like to continue in Isaiah for a while and just reflect, as we think of prophecy many times in the Old Testament, uh, we can think of, if we're not careful, just that it's condemning and negative and judgmental. And certainly there's a lot of talk of judgment and what God is going to have to do to bring his people back to him and judgment upon the nations. And we're seeing that in Revelation too, as the um, the judgment is described that will one day be fulfilled. And that can be a burden on us. If we don't also remember the balance of this is that in, in, in this same book with Isaiah, as in Revelation, Revelation, there are passages of great joy in the worship of God and looking forward to one day worshiping God worshiping the Messiah in his kingdom. And here we're, we're going to see one of those in Isaiah chapter 12, a short passage, one that introduces us to this, the joy that God's people can have now and will experience one day as they worship him and anticipate his established kingdom. And wasn't that what the people that were waving the palm branches and um, excited and uh, energetic in their praise of Jesus as he rode in on that donkey, they were anticipating the kingdom that they hoped that their Messiah was going to usher in. They didn't have a full understanding of what that meant and the work that needed to be done. If they had read Isaiah with understanding and carefulness, they would have understood what Jesus had come to do, but they missed it. But we don't want to miss it today and what he has already accomplished. And I think sometimes, you know, this passage is a good reminder. One of the weaknesses that we have is we forget the joy of worship in the midst of uncertainty and uncertain times, in the midst of burdens that weigh us down and difficulties and struggles. We can come to a service like this and we've talked about how to prepare ourselves for worship. And even the night before, preparing ourselves and through, or throughout the week in some ways, preparing ourselves this morning, but we can still sometimes get so uh, myopic and, and focused on other things that we forget and we lose the joy of worshiping together. We have more understanding than the people did, as I've said before, the people that were waving those palm branches on Palm Sunday, and they were rejoicing and exuberant. And so, folks, we ought to have that exuberance in our hearts as we worship the Lord Jesus and worship the God of heaven, because we know more than they do. We have a better understanding. So we're going to see why we should have joy for the one in your midst. And he is in our midst today. And joy comes in recognizing his mercy and in proclaiming his salvation. And the background uh, behind this is in Isaiah 11, and we'll just read this quickly, and then we'll get into Isaiah 12 after prayer. Isaiah 11, verse 10, and this will describe 
when the Messiah will come and reign and establish his kingdom. And this is one of the ways that the people um, had been then prepared to anticipate what they thought Jesus would do. Isaiah 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Tush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Don't miss the miracle in that. Isaiah has prophesied that the northern kingdom would be scattered. And to this day, folks, God accomplished that with the Assyrians and the northern kingdom. The tribes are scattered. And uh, uh, no one uh, knows how to put them back together again, so to speak. But what's described here is that even those that were scattered from the enemy, the Assyrian armies, will be brought back from literally all over the world to worship with God and his kingdom. And there was a great anticipation of that. And it continues, verse 12, He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah. From the four corners of the earth, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. And they, God will continue to give them victory. Verse 15, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria from the, for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Probably God's people thought it, at some point it wasn't even possible to bring back those who had been scattered because of uh, the um, punishment and the work of the Assyrian armies. And yet, here they find from Isaiah that this would happen, that God would bring his people back together. And there was great joy in thinking on that. All of that behind the joy of the people as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And now in Isaiah 12, we will see in just a minute, we'll read the first two verses of the great joy that the people will experience when this takes place. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Father, we're grateful and thankful to read these words. Lord, let us be undistracted. There's so many things in our lives and in our society, uh, with our technology, so many ways we can be distracted. But help us to truly experience in this time the joy of focusing on you. As we behold you as our God, and we remember your mercies toward us, that your discipline and chastisement won't last forever, and that you are tender and merciful toward your people. And so let us 
and hearts that are exuberant this morning. Maybe even more so than the folks that waved those palm branches there in Jerusalem as Jesus rode in on a donkey. Because we know the end of the story. And we know that Jesus will return. And we will worship him forever in great joy and, and excitement. So let us have a little bit of that even this morning as we focus on Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We can have joy for the one in our midst. And because of the work of Christ, we can experience the presence of God in our midst together in a way that even those in the Old Testament times could not experience. And so this focus in Isaiah 12 is looking toward the future at a time when that will take place in the coming of the messianic kingdom in the future. And there is great joy in this. Joy comes in recognizing God's mercy to his people, the first two verses that we just read there. And so we should be thankful for his comfort, even in the midst of his discipline. We know that it is all for a purpose. And so we just finished reading Isaiah 11 and describing when God would bring his people back together and his servant, his suffering servant, would reign. And so then Isaiah says in verse 1, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. And we see this anticipation. And I'll point out, too, that even in our study of Revelation, we can understand maybe a little bit more as God's people have looked forward to Jesus coming, the great rejoicing, even in the midst of the judgment of God on earth, that this is about to take place. And those folks are saying what Isaiah said they would say, that they would give thanks, and they do that in the book of Revelation. But he's described Again, the regathering of God's people from all over the world into this messianic kingdom. And those folks, the Jewish people, will finally at this point turn back to God and recognize him as Lord and will offer thanksgiving for him, to him, for his salvation and for his mercy. And uh, that will be a wonderful thing indeed, even as we look to the Jewish nation today, that many of them are, are basically atheistic, that they, they have rejected God. Some look forward to some sort of nebulous Messiah, but they really don't, in one accord by any means, uh, look toward Jesus Christ as the fulfillment and look forward to that second kingdom. But they are gathered together. And if you'll remember, the theme in Revelation, one of the great themes is that through judgment, God will bring his people, the Jewish people, to an understanding of who Christ is, and they will eventually acknowledge him as their king. And this is what they say, that they will give thanks to him. They will have recognized his anger because that terrible anger that we've talked about in the tribulation and that we'll talk about tonight as well is truly awful to behold. But this points to the way that even though they've gone through and experienced his anger, that they will also experience his mercy and comfort. That um, as they turn to him, he would turn his anger from them. 
And that word there for thanks in the first verse has obviously the idea of gratitude and thanksgiving, recognizing all that God has done. But it's interesting. It's also a word that's many times in the Old Testament in the Hebrew word used for confession and repentance. And I think that's also in play here as God's people, the Jewish nation in particular, will finally again recognize after rejecting him, crucifying him, and rejecting and rebelling against him through all these years, there will come a point where they will, as a people, turn back to him and they will offer him gratitude. They, have, they will experience much of his judgment, and now they will experience his consolation, his comfort, his mercy, his compassion on them. His wrath has been poured out, and now he pours out comfort. That tender compassion that's described in God's word many times as a mother carefully tending her infant child. How can a God show such wrath and anger on sin and yet comfort his people? That's the glorious mystery. But it's something that God's people, even his people today, the church, can um, be thankful for. That God will deal with our sin, but he will also show us tender compassion when we return and we repent. And so that he is worthy of singing that song of thanksgiving because of who he is. Well, I've had that opportunity, my wife and I, many times in consoling our children. A couple major falls come to mind. I remember we had an evangelist that came uh, one weekend and our boys were outside as we were talking to that evangelist at the church there in Maryland. And uh, Luke had a toy or he had some sort of uh, plastic shopping cart that he was pushing along and he hit a rock or something and um, that thing flipped up and he fell right directly on his mouth, you know, his nose and um, there was uh, there was a cut and there was all kinds of scrape and everything and immediately we heard him, this cute little boy and he's bawling and crying and we ran over to him. The, the, as soon as the evangelist, he had small children too and he heard that, he's like, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. And, he's like, All right. and his face was a mess and we went over and cleaned him up and, and took care of things. Well, I remember as well, not only this, that consolation, but uh, we had our Awana program on Sunday evenings and this was right a couple days before that. So it had, his scars had had time to heal a little bit. But there was a little girl in his Awana class um, that after the classes were all done, the kids were in the gym together, and she walked over to him, and she had some some scrapes and a scar, something that, from a fall she'd had recently on her. And she took his hand. Now, they were only four, so it was okay. And she took she took her finger and she touched his his scars. Oh, oh, and she felt bad for him. And then she gave him a hug and then they walked off together. It was it was really cute to see that. Um, that consolation when we go through difficult times is so encouraging and needed. And folks, so often when we see God's judgment, we think he's harsh and vindictive, and that's not the case. Isaiah reminds us here that God's people need to remember, and one day they will, that God's judgment is for a purpose. It's to bring us back to him. It's not to just be angry and vitriolic. But when we turn back to him, 
he turns his anger away and there's that sweet consolation and careful uh, compassion. He is worthy of our thanksgiving and praise just for that alone. But there's much more. He says, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. And again, stop there for a minute. God would be their salvation, but really beyond uh, what they could comprehend, the ultimate fulfillment of that phrase right there is the atoning work of, of Christ, of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's wrath was justly turned toward us in our sin and rebellion. It was turned on us. And it was turned on his son, Jesus Christ, who died and shed his blood. And really, in full fulfillment here, he took the full wrath of God. The full cup of God's wrath was turned on him. Marvelous to think and behold. We then did not have to face it. We were saved from that wrath and the consequences of that wrath by having faith in the work that Jesus Christ accomplished. And so in a fuller sense, we can say today, behold, God is my salvation because our Savior is God and he provided salvation for us. And therefore, I will trust. I will not be afraid. Um, I can have full confidence, that word means. And... Um, and this the second aspect of not being afraid is um, not dreading, really. Not having a dread toward God's judgment and what he will do. You know, those that don't know God very well tend to dread him. Those that sometimes confess Christ but are not really believers, they're filled constantly with a dread of God. Or those that have strayed from him and sense his dis displeasure in their sin have a constant dread of God many times, and that really was that's what that word afraid means. That I dread he's he's awful and vindictive and judgmental towards me, but God's people are now saying, I don't dread him anymore. Because I realize that he's provided salvation for me. He's provided cleansing for my sin. I don't dread him anymore, but I trust him. I fully depend on him. And he's my strength. And he's my song. My song. <clears throat> he's my full strength. That also has the idea of a place of refuge and protection. Uh, a lot of young people in colleges today, even some public high schools, they have these places, or they, they used to. I don't know if they're still popular, but, you know, these safe spaces where they can run and not hear offending phrases and things and, and things like this. And, unfortunately, there's such a spirit of fear that almost every time somebody talks, some young people run to those safe spaces and they just try to hide away and, and not face life. But folks, in a real sense, what this is saying is God is our safe space. <laughs> he will protect us through his, his judgment and through the difficulties of life. He is my strength. He is my safe place. He is my place of refuge. And thus, I will sing. And this singing does refer to the music, but even more so to the content of the message. Because God's people do have much to sing about. And the song is filled with 
um, the glories of who God is. And our song today is filled with the glory and the understanding of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And folks, we truly have much to sing about and rejoice about as we reflect on what God has done. He has become my salvation. And I think what that means is, is that he, we have finally realized God's people will use um, the Jewish people at this point as a point of context. There will come a point at the end of that judgment time in the tribulation, they will say, he has become our salvation. We finally realize that we need to depend on what he's provided for us. But folks, today we already have that. For those of us that have trusted in Christ, Jew and Gentile today, Jesus Christ has become our salvation because we've accepted his gift that he offers and his sacrifice for us. And so we can be confident and dependent on his salvation. Have you ever had a situation where there was something that you were had to fully depend on, really almost at the cost of of, of you were concerned that you would hurt yourself or, or be in danger if this one particular thing you were hanging on to. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Brock? Well, I have a story in this regard. Um, when I was involved in commercial painting, when I was a young man going through college, in the summers, I had a job with a commercial painter. He was a Christian. Um, and we did a lot of variety of different things, painting the outsides of homes, painting inside one of the most intimidating projects, though, that he would put us on was some of these old barns. And we have a lot of these old barns here in New England as well. But in Michigan, there were a number of these old barns. And some of these things were huge. And they were many, you know, sometimes 25, 30 feet or more. And uh, when we would go to a particular job and we realized it was one of these really tall, high barns, my heart just kind of sank because I knew what that meant. That meant that we would have to put up two ladders on either side of, of each side of that barn. And then we would put a plank in between. And we'd have these two uh, strong metal hook sustainers that you would hook onto the rungs of the ladder. And they would hold the plank that would then extend across both ladders. And sometimes you'd have just the one ladder on either side and nothing in the middle. And here you are, and then you're supposed to focus on sanding this uh, barn face and then uh, put a coat of maybe primer and then a, a final coat of paint on it. And I'm not one that's, that really enjoys heights anyway, folks. I mean, even flying is not my favorite thing. I just have to remember, no, Lord, you're holding this plane. And so, you know, I don't understand how this works, but that's okay. I know that you're in control of all this. But, you know, as I climbed up that ladder and prepared, and it wasn't just me, but sometimes it was it was my brother, and sometimes it was as many as, we usually were careful not to have four, but at least three on this plane. And you get some wise guy that's kind of, you know, a little bit more confident there, and he kind of bouncing around a little bit. And as you're trying to paint, and you're literally, sometimes I found myself kind of holding onto the plank because I was so scared. I was fully dependent and praying, Lord, don't let this plank stay put. <laughs> this is scary. And I, I felt that sense of, I am dependent on this one metal plank to hold me up, literally, so that I, don't, I may not lose my life. It was a very disconcerting feeling and disturbing, to say the least. 
and it was not one of my favorite jobs. But in a real sense, folks, that's what our dependence in God should be. That we are holding on to him in the storms and the wise guys of life. That we're fully dependent on him, clinging to him to save us. And when God's people do that, they have much to joy about. There's no fear. There's confidence. There's dependence. There is um, there is great trust in in not strong um, reliance on Christ, and He can get us through, and we don't have to be afraid. And that gives us cause to sing, or it should. Well, Isaiah continues on. Joy comes in recognizing God's mercy to His people, certainly His salvation. But also, like I said, his salvation for his people, joy comes in proclaiming that to our world. So the rest of this passage, verse 3, we proclaim his salvation amongst the people. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. And God's people, when they're depending on him and clinging to him, they find their joy in drawing their sustenance from him. That's that picture of drawing water from the wells of salvation. Isn't that really the main goal of all mankind is the search for spiritual sustenance and spiritual wholeness? And folks, the tragedy is that so many people, even in our world today, reject the one source that will provide them that true water. The true water of life. Does that sound like a familiar phrase? Did not Jesus refer to himself in that way, that I am the water of life? And here, even in verse 3, I think this pictures the salvation that Jesus would bring. We would truly draw water. The Samaritan woman was called to draw water from a relationship with Christ. And that would bring her true joy and will bring us true joy. Do you remember how she ran back to her town and joyfully proclaimed of what she had found? And when we truly realize what we have in God and his salvation, folks, and that we can have spiritual wholeness, we'll never seek elsewhere. We shouldn't. We can find all our fulfillment in our relationship with God. Because relationship with him is the only thing that brings full satisfaction. Uh, another story from my time as a painter, commercial painter. Um, as a young man, I, I really didn't understand um, the need to stay hydrated in one sense. Oh, I would drink a lot because I would get very thirsty. But a lot of times... Um, we would, at the beginning of the day, we'd stop by the local Quick Mart, and we Mart, and we would get some drinks and different things, and would always get a soda and maybe a Gatorade. But on those really hot days, what I found was the case when I would go to drink that soda, you know, there was a moment of pleasure, and then it wasn't too long before it really, it really wasn't satisfying and quenching my thirst. I was thirsty again very quickly. And even Gatorade to a certain point would help a little bit more with electrolytes. But it was that just that plain old water that I, I tended to avoid that was really 
the most refreshing and the most helpful. Folks, how, how often do we go to other sources rather than God for our spiritual wholeness? And we find that we're still thirsty and we wonder why. Even as God's people, sometimes we wonder why. Why am I so thirsty? Why am I struggling? Why is my soul cast down within me? What's wrong with me? Eventually we realize I'm not drinking from the water of life. I'm not depending upon Christ. I'm not depending upon God's word. I haven't been in God's word much today. He has not been my sustenance. And when we turn back to him and draw sustenance from his word and communion with him, oh, there's great joy. And we ought to have that joy as we worship today as well. Worshiping and recognizing dependence on him and dependence upon his power. There is wonderful joy in that. And so we give thanks to the Lord, verse 4. Isaiah guarantees a sure thing that God's people, that Israel will come back to him. And that they will give him, they will offer him, and they will acknowledge that he is worthy of all gratitude and dependence. And they'll proclaim his mighty works and worship him fully as he deserves. And that is described in verse 4. Again, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. It'll be a wonderful time in the future. As God's people, the people of Israel, turn to him and they point the nations of the world to Christ and say, know his mighty deeds. This is what our God has done. This is what our Messiah has done. Let's worship him together. And they lead the way in that worship. And that um, love and uh, giving glory to him. But we don't have to wait, do we? We don't have to wait for the for that to happen one day with the Jewish nation, folks. We can do that today because we understand that through faith in Christ and understanding of what Christ has done for us, we can we have God in our midst even now. Getting ahead of the end of the, the passage here. But we can enjoy fellowship with God today and worship him in joy today. Let's not wait till the end of the story. We can do that today as his people, as we're here together. And so we can be a fulfillment of this. Let's point people to the mighty deeds of God. Let's exalt his name. Let's show our dependence upon his name. Call upon his name. Depend. Let's let people know that our thirst for God has been quenched through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But let's not be satisfied with just telling even the people in our area, in our community, but let's proclaim his works throughout the whole earth. And that's the last couple of verses here. And as God's people really truly recognize what he has done, then song and lifting voices and song in a vigorous and even loud way is the wonderful response when people truly get it and they understand all that God has done for them. They can't help but sing. And sing loudly. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. They're recognizing his majesty and splendor and his mighty works, being reminded of all that he has done. And there's a desire to proclaim it and make it known throughout the whole earth. They say, proclaim that his name is exalted. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, that's verse 4. Verse 5, let this be made known in all the earth. 
We're not satisfied until the whole world knows where they can have their spiritual thirst quenched. And they know the majesty and glory of the one that we serve and that we worship. So let's shout and sing for joy. Let's sing with vigor. Let's sing loudly, O inhabitant of Zion. God has brought his people back to Jerusalem from the four corners of the earth. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. God's people are rejoicing because he's brought them back to inhabit their homeland again. And that will happen. But there's something even more important than that, as glorious as that will be. And that is, is that he has refined them so that the Holy One can be in their presence again. Remember, the Holy One here described here is one that is holy, perfectly holy and separate from the rest of creation and can't abide with the presence of sin. Well, how then can that Holy One actually be in the midst of a sinful people? Well, the answer is, is that God is going to have to deal with their sin. And he will. And he'll be able to dwell in their midst again and worship him. Isn't that the joy of part of a series of revelation is seeing God's people in his throne room rejoicing and worshiping him in the, the in a perfect way with no more tears and no more fears, all of these things. And this is described here at the end of this passage. Well, how is this going to be accomplished? This thing where God will be able to be in the midst of his people and the great joy that they will experience. Well, Isaiah tells us that. Turn with me quickly to Isaiah 53. It's a reminder for us as we face this week and think of all that Christ has done for us. That God's people was told, were told how this would take place. Don't you miss it. The suffering servant would have to come. That one that rode in on that donkey didn't come to take over as king at that point. But he came to die for the sins of the people so that they could be cleansed and God could be in their midst again. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, brought us cleansing and peace and the ability to stand before God. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So in the end, as we finish up on this short passage this morning from Isaiah, the question is answered and that the cleansing of God's people was accomplished 
through the sacrifice of the suffering servant, the Messiah. And that is why he came. And the people that were waving those palm branches on Palm Sunday initially totally missed that and were appalled at the death of their Savior, their Messiah, literally a few days later. They didn't understand that they needed cleansing of sin. They needed renewal in order for God to be among them. Well, Jesus has accomplished that, folks. And even today, we look forward to the day when he'll return, and we'll get to fully experience what Isaiah talks about here. But we don't have to wait for that, because through our faith in Christ and his work, we as a people of God in a small little church called Village Chapel Baptist Church, we can experience the joy of God in our midst because of what Christ has done. So our worship ought to reflect that joy, should it not? And that's the theme that we're going to continue to look on in Isaiah over the next uh, number of weeks. And I know it will be of encouragement for you. Remember what Christ has done for you and let that fill you with joy. Because he's returning and we will be able to worship him and enjoy him forever. Father, a wonderful reminder in this little passage in Isaiah of what we will one day get to experience. And yet we rejoice in the realization that we can experience that in some form today as we worship together as your people and have your presence with us because of the work that Christ has done. And so, Lord, let, let us, regardless of what we face, regardless of what this church faces in the future, let us have joy and confidence and dependence on you. Let us experience these things and be comforted and consoled and respond in gratitude and worship and joy for what you have accomplished and what you will accomplish in us and in this community as we continue to serve you faithfully. Help us to be fully submissive and dependent upon Christ. And let us have joyful hearts in that. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.